Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Excuse me while I do a little house cleaning up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of godly sorrow or the hurt that helps. The hurt that helps. Last week we had dealt with uh, the beginning part of this, chapter 7. We had dealt with the uh, first three verses in particular and uh, dealt with uh, what godly what godly living, what true godliness looks like, that sort of thing. And uh, the apostle had said, Receive us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. We dealt with each of those. Tonight, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 7 and begin in verse 5. And what we're going to do tonight, jump right into things. I'm going to take some steps to allow your mind to come from all the different places you've been and what's been going on today and get, get focused onto the Word of God. But um, we're going to be looking and I'm going to be going down through this passage and uh, not just reading it as a whole passage, but kind of explaining it as we go. There's a couple of different ways we do that sometimes. And uh, I want to help us tonight with the Word of God, knowing why sometimes we need sorrow. There are different types of sorrows. Um, we have a song that talks about letting sorrow do her, its work. And sweet are its messengers, sweet their refrain. Um, and there are sometimes... You ready? I'm going to say something totally contrary to all the teaching of, of uh, psychology today. There's sometimes you need to feel very bad about something. Sometimes I need to feel very bad about something. Do you know that uh, when someone is guilty of wrong and they don't feel guilty, that that's a very bad thing? It's a very evil thing. It's a very unhealthy thing. You say, well, somebody did something. You say, they feel bad about it. Well, I don't want them to feel bad. Sometimes they need to feel bad. And anytime we do something that's contrary to the written, revealed Word of God, we ought to feel bad about it. In fact, one of the last steps of degeneration of any society is they can't blush. The Bible talks about it. They can't, they can't, they're not ashamed. They have no shame. They, they don't feel bad about anything. That's a very, very deadly sign in a person. And uh, I, I am always far less concerned when someone comes to my office heartbroken over something they've done, heartbroken over uh, their failures or the weaknesses in their life, heartbroken over their coldness of their heart towards the Lord. It's kind of funny. Sometimes people come that way. Not funny as in humorous, but... And every time I hear somebody say that, I'm really concerned. I'm not where I should be with the Lord. In my heart, I think, oh, thank God. <laughs> because the one that concerns me greatly, I don't care. Just don't care. I, you know, doesn't matter. Thank the Lord or leave him. Ah, heard it all my life. Ah, take it or leave it. It's no big deal. But it is. Because it's not a matter of somebody adhering to a religion. As a matter of fact, there is a true and living God. And, uh, and so, 
this thing of uh, godly sorrow or the hurt that helps is, uh, is a good thing. I mean, he used to have a wrestling coach. And he'd be working out with him some. Actually, I went to another school to get under a good coach. I'd practice at our school and then go to another school. Canterbury was there. He had about five guys from his squad every year that went to state. He was worth listening to. <laughs> and uh, he'd be in pain. Does that hurt, boys? Yes, sir. Good. <laughs> so he's a good coach. Now, he's just a masochist. Um, they, Second Corinthians, look if you will in chapter 7. He was a good coach, by the way. Look in verse 5 is where we're going to begin this thing, looking at it. It says, for when we were coming to Macedonia. And so what's happening here, let me set the, the platform for it, a little bit here for you. Paul's going to be referring, as he goes down through here, in the Word of God, he's going to be referring back to a letter which he had written to him. And in fact, in this chapter, you'll find the word letter and epistle used in the same verse, identifying the same thing. So if you didn't know what an epistle was, you didn't know the definition of it was a letter that was written, you would know it from that being revealed in the, in the text within the, within the Bible. What he's referring to is what we know is the book of 1 Corinthians. If you remember as we've come through the book of 1 Corinthians, he had to correct a lot of things. And he had to deal with a lot of things. I don't know if that's the only letter that he's referring to because not everything Paul wrote was Scripture. Paul's not God. And it was not inspired because Paul wrote it. But Paul was chosen to write what was inspired in the New Testament. But there were a lot of things Paul wrote that were not inspired. And you say, well, we don't have those. Very good. Because they weren't inspired. So they have not survived miraculously down through the eons of time with everybody in the world trying to, to get rid of them. And so when Paul wrote, there may have been other letters, but he is referring also to 1 Corinthians when he dealt with that church about some problems and different things with it. And so anyway, uh, verse 5, it says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, so he recounts to them what it was like. Remember, he is the one who founded the church there. He started that church. He came in. He started dealing with them and stuff. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. He just said, it wore us out. What we had to do when we got there wore us out. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. So they were opposed. They were battled. And then once the church got started, they had people fussing with each other and fighting over things and, 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 and going on. And that's a great strain upon anybody who's trying to preach the gospel to people. And he said there, he said, without were fightings. And then look what the apostle said. What did he say were within? Within were fears. So he had times of fears. You think of these apostles, these people in the Bible, just people who never were afraid of anything, always knew everything was going to turn out all right, just absolute boldness and all that. That's not a fact. They were people. You know, Esther didn't, when she found out and uh, or was approached by Mordecai to go into King Ahasuerus, she didn't immediately say, I will, and if I perish, I perish. No, she sent back out and she said, I can get killed for that. He sent back in and had to remind her. He said, God's going to deliver His people. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here. And he said, who knows you came from the time of the king, if you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. But if you don't do this, God will raise up deliverance from somewhere else and you and your, your father's house will not be spared. And he went further and said, don't think because you're in the palace, you're going to be safe when they find out you're a Jew. And so what did she do? 
She said, man, the ladies in here are going to pray and fast for three days. Mordecai, you get everybody else to pray and fast for three days. I mean, there was a whole exchange went on. And then she said, I'll go in and if I perish, I perish. She didn't just say, Mordecai says, I need you to go and talk to Hashem. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, this was not rhetorical. It was not, oh, he's going to kill me over this. It was quite literal. <laughs> not, they're going to get angry at you. They're going to say, you know, angry words to you. That's what we mean. They're going to kill me over this. What she meant was, I'm getting chopped in pieces over this. And so, Paul faced fears too. He had a whole city that wasn't real keen on what he was doing. He had, he had so much happen and so he had fightings without and within he had fears. So he had all of that. If you're looking for a time of smooth sailing to serve God, you're not going to get it. It's kind of like when people finally get everything taken care of so they got time enough to serve God. You're never going to do it. I'm just going to tell you right now. You Listen to me. You're not going to do it. Because it's never convenient. You never have enough time. It's a matter of priority and what you put first. That's what it all comes down to. And so here's what happened. Then, thank God what he learned through all this in verse 6. Nevertheless, he said, we had all this going on. God, <laughs> I love this, that comforteth those that are cast down. I'm glad I have a God like that. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't it amazing how certain people coming along can be a blessing to you? I really can. I mentioned that the storm was a blessing to us this week. He made mention to me Three or four times, he and uh, Sister Jerry Lynn both said, your, your church is a blessing to us. We love coming here. And you encourage them along the road. That's a good thing. We're supposed to do that for one another. And uh, verse 7, And not by His coming only, but by the consolation wherewith He was comforted in you. So, Paul said, we were comforted because Titus came to us. But one of the things that comforted us is what he said, how you comforted him. He's addressing the Corinthian church. He's, Paul said, I drive comfort from how you comforted Titus. And the way you comforted Titus is because of what he saw in you. Look at what he said they saw in him. He said, when he told us, I'm in the middle of verse 7, of your earnest desire, your mourning. So why would mourning comfort him? Because they were mourning over the right things. Your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Now, here's the thing about the saying of godly repentance or the hurt that helps. Look in verse 8, and you'll have to uh, pay careful attention. It's not complicated, but you, you have to be thorough in your, in your looking at it. So he says to the church at Corinth, For though I made you sorry with a letter. Now, do you think anything? And of course, he wrote more than one letter, but in the letter that was actually the Word of God given to him, if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you think there's anything in 1 Corinthians that might have made that church sorry. They, they, he, he dealt with some things very strongly there. I mean, he even had to rebuke. Listen to what he said. I mean, we'd, we'd go over it whenever we took the Lord's Supper on Sunday, but he told them, Basically, you have totally messed up the Lord's Supper. And he said to him, some of your folks have died because you are so flippant with the, word, with the Lord's Supper. That's a very strong statement. 
And so he makes a statement there. He says, though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent. So wait a minute, preacher, what's that talking about? I think many of you all know this. He didn't enjoy it when he was the messenger of something that he knew was going to be rebuking. He didn't enjoy having to be the one to say, you need to get right. I believe any preacher in any age that just thrives on rebuking people and telling them what they need to get right, that that's just some kind of a thrill to them to do that. Either they're very, very young in the preaching ministry. They don't have the sense, as my mom used to say, God gave a goose. Or they're, they're just really egotistical. They really believe that they're God's instrument to go tell everybody what to do with everything in their life. And uh, people who approach things that way tend to be very, very poor in shepherding and being, uh, being to God's people a good representative of the Lord. And uh, one of those two situations you can grow out of because you grow up eventually. Um, the other one's just pitiful. Um, but he said, I mean, you rick somebody. Look, I found out something a number of years ago. And it's only the thing you'd only notice by being at it a while. All of a sudden I thought, oh, that's why some men start not really hitting certain things when they get older. I thought maybe it just, you know, got tired of tired of confronting things. That's really not it. You know what it is? Okay, let's let's take I'm not gonna point anything out here because I don't want to get into personal stuff with you all. I mean you're all's personal stuff. I don't do that from the pulpit. Tonight, right now. Now I haven't been led to a corrective rebuke message, and by the way, that's biblical. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort. That's biblical. But suppose I had been led tonight go to a passage in the Scripture where I know we're going to peel the paint off the walls. I'm going to name things. I'm going to deal with things. You know every time I do that, and that's part of what I'm supposed to do, every time I do that, as you all are singing, and you're coming in, and I watch you, I know hurts you're carrying. I know struggles you have. I know how disappointed some of you all are in your own walk at times. I know how deceived some of you are by allurements around you. And your heart breaks, but just like a parent that's a loving parent, there has to be discipline. It can't just be always, bless your heart. And so he said, I did, I do not repent, though I did repent. I believe that there were times he knew God was sending Darren send that letter right and he's going, really? I mean, he led these people to Christ. He started that church. And he had to nail some things in it. But look what God gave him in the way of comfort and gives us in the way of instruction with this. He says again in verse 8, he says, For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. He said, I don't. I, I, I wouldn't take it back. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. Now there's been a space of time since that went to him. That has made you sorry, but for a season. He has seen now that God knew more than he did. 
And when Paul wasn't writing his own words when he was writing 1 Corinthians, he's writing God's words. And there were some things when he's delivering that, he may be thinking, man, if you think, if you think I may be off on that at all, I invite you to go back and watch Samuel's interaction with Saul. I invite you to look at some of the prophets when they had to deliver sentences of judgment on people and were brokenhearted because they had to do it, but they were going to be faithful to what God said. And so that's what he did. And now he's saying, it made you sorry for a season. And he said, for a season, for a time. But look what happened then at the end of that. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. He said, I wasn't happy that it hurt, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. He said, your sorrow had had a purposeful end to it. Your hurt of the feeling, the, the, the sorrow that came to you, God was doing something that you needed through His Word. Look at the word that's used here with it. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, at the end of verse 9, that you might receive what? Damage. That you may receive damage by us in nothing. He said, made you sorry, but I did not damage you. In fact, the godly sorrow and you responding properly to it keeps you from damage. And he said, damage is, is, is something that is to the detriment. It's something that hurts, not as in you hurt me. Oh, that hurts to hear that. As in actually damages, actually hurts them. And he said, you've received damage from us and nothing. <laughs> Amazing, right? Prophet Elijah goes for God three and a half years without rain at his word, Right? What does Ahab say? The old wicked king. <laughs> old, uh, uh, who was a preach payday someday? Uh, just lost him. R.G. Lee. He, he said in the opening of that sermon, he said, the most vile human toad to ever squat on the kingdom of uh, the throne of the kingdom of Israel. That's how he described Ahab. Every time I think Ahab, I think of a vile toad. Um, and Ahab. When he met Elijah, he said to the man God, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And, and Elijah looked at him and said, It's not I that trouble Israel, but thee in thy house. Why? Elijah hadn't made Israel and led Israel and coerced Israel to go into idolatry and worship Baal. Ahab had. And it's not the one that comes along and tells you truth that's hurting you, it's the one that takes you from truth that's hurting you. It's not the one that comes along and tells you that we're supposed to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world that's hurting you. It's the person who tells you that God doesn't really care. Live however you want to. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You're saved anyway. And for people who prostitute the teaching of grace and use it for licentiousness, they are the ones that damage. And so what happens? He said, you receive damage by us and nothing. illustrations I could give. At least one of them will take me in a fleshly. I'm going to leave it alone. Verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. You say, what do you mean by that preacher? It's going to make me mad. I'm going to leave it alone. Um, For godly sorrow worketh repentance 
to salvation not to be repented of. I believe that salvation there is the broad sense of the term. We tend to think of salvation only as being saved from eternal damnation, and that is an application of it, but it's also used in other terms too. The salvation of this, the salvation of that, your salvation. All right? Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Does it work to where people say, I need to be saved? Yes. But does it also work in the lives of believers? Yes. Godly sorrow does. Why? Salvage them from whatever they're going to go into. Whatever it is going to destroy them. Just in our reading today in 1 Corinthians 3, what was tried by the fire? Anybody know? If you got to read that today, do you know? Oh, don't know for sure. Every man's works shall be tried by fire. What he did. And if his works are burnt, he'll suffer loss. His works, everything put his time into just goes by the wayside. But he himself shall be saved yet so is by fire. There's more to it than just, hey, I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. Okay, great. What are you taking to heaven with you? If God loved you enough to so freely give you such a wonderful future, then why would you not serve Him with what you have now? And so what happens, He says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. And then the contrast in verse 10, but the sorrow of the world, what does it work? Look at it, verse 10, open book test. It worketh death. It kills you. Godly sorrow doesn't. That's when I'm not playing around or just poking at words when I tell people, folks go saying, I want a church where I feel comfortable. I don't want to make you comfortable. I want to make you welcome. I want to preach words of comfort when words of comfort are supposed to be preached. I want to point you towards the comforter. I want to tell you about the God of all comfort. But I don't want to make you comfortable if you are set to go the wrong way, if you are ignoring the God that made you, if you are doing things that are going to destroy you, if you are going back on what you know to do that's right. I don't want to make you comfortable. I want to make you uncomfortable by the Word of God. Why? Because we will one day give account of everything done in our body. You will. I will. And I am responsible for telling you truth. And you can ignore, zone out on me, do whatever ditty stuff you do while I'm talking, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a God in heaven who will hold you accountable for the fact you're in a Bible-believing church and talk, or try to teach you something. And so what happens, he said, the godly sorrow, he says, it does not work death. It works repentance. Godly sorrow. How do you take it? Then verse 11, he said, for behold this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed, watch the word, after a godly sort. I thought that was really interesting with today's reading. Every man's work shall be tried of what sort it is. It's the same word that is used here. And he said that you sorrowed after a godly sort. You, you, you approached it the right way. You were open to the Lord. You didn't bow up on him. You didn't, you, you didn't. What right does he have? You, you were open to him correcting you. Then look at the fruit of what brings here. And I want you to look at each of these. 
It says this, it says what carefulness, note that one, it wrought in you. Something wrought in you means it's made or fashioned in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. And then he concludes that verse. And the Lord says, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So here's what happened. They were confronted with whatever it was. Their response was godly sorrow. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I told you once when I got witness into a group of the kids down by uh, the fairground, or in fair, and there was a whole group, there was a fight going on. And that's a, that's a neat way. You get a crowd, the crowd gets together. Might as well take advantage of it. So these folks, were, these people were fighting. And I had on a dark blue jacket, had the zip part way up. I both kids went to the middle of the crowd. Hell no, enough of that. Sell that. Like it. I thought it was the fuzz, amen. And uh, they did. They told me afterwards. So I had them there, and they're all looking at me. I said, okay, well, I have your attention. I just started giving them the gospel. Some of them listened. And uh, all the way through, got tracks in all their hands. My wife was down from that area. I think my mom been somebody else. Anyway, they were right down from me in that area. And they said one of the girls went by and she was like this. And she said to her friend, man, I feel like I'm in a church. I feel guilty. <laughs> That's a telling statement. And I thought to myself, Good. Good. Somebody had sense enough to feel guilty. That's, that's, almost, that's almost like genius level in today's society. <laughs> and, uh, and so he says here, he said this godly sorrow did some things. Look what gar- got godly? godly sorrow does. First thing it says in verse 11, it says what carefulness it wrought in you. Carefulness has to do with earnestness. It has to do with diligence. Are you ready for this? This will help you. Godly sorrow causes you to take action that's needed. To actually take action. Carefulness. Godly sorrow says, oh, I got to be careful right there. Ooh, I need to do something different than that. We're dealing with somebody who got off the booze, and I just kept being more nosy as we talked. I said, "You got rid of everything in the house, right?" Well, no, you know, I don't. I'm not going to break it, but just psychologically, comfort there, I have a bottle back. That's not godly sorrow. That's devil's deception. You get rid of it. It brings carefulness. You actually take a step. You actually do something. That's what's going on. Then, look, it was not only that, not only carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves. What is that? That's the idea of an apology. 
You're apologetic about it. <laughs> I just recently had somebody I was talking to who was recounting something in their life, a portion of their life and a portion of their decision in their life for which they should be so ashamed they can't hold their head up. And just mention in passing, oh, I was doing this and such. Just like, oh, okay. It's not godly sorrow. Talk with me about how much you want to get right and then act like the sinful behavior is just, oh, okay. No! Well, you want to beat people to death? I don't want to do anything to them. I want them to know. Look, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> if it's just a flippant thing to you, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it wrong. Okay, everybody does. Nobody's perfect. You, you don't even, you can't spell godly sorrow yet. You are on a fast track to destruction, my friend. Because godly sorrow, part of what it does is it brings a clearing of yourself. It's the idea you want to say, I, I want to be right about this. I want to be right about this. I'm not saying beat yourself to death over it the rest of your life. You, you get right, you actually get right, and then you go on and realize God's allowed you to go forward. But I'm talking about this thing that's just like, oh, okay. Right. Can I give you another Bible illustration? It's a fellow named King Saul. I've sinned, you're not on me now. How about a guy named Pharaoh? I've sinned, yet I've sinned but this once. Can you ask just this to be taken from me? You know what those two guys had in common? Neither of them got right. Because what they had was an uncomfortable situation. They wanted to feel better. And that is not godly sorrow. And so what is it with godly sorrow? Clearing himself. Then look at the next statement that's made there. It says, what carefulness it wrought in you. Verse 11 again. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. You say, who are they indignant against? Their self. They are upset by their deeds. You want it? Real plain language? They've gotten to a point with godly sorrow to say enough is enough. Enough is enough. I am sick of this. And I'm the fault of it. When someone's still saying enough is enough and they're blaming everybody else for their decisions, that's just delusion. But enough is enough. I'm just sick of this. You want a Bible example of this one? Amazing, we got all these Bible examples of these things up. This is one that got it right. We don't know his name. The name he's known by, the descriptive name, isn't a Bible word. It's a good word. It describes him. Anybody guess from that who it is? He's the youngest. Prodigal son, right? Or prodigal's not in the Bible. Prodigal means a waster. He was a great waster. But his name's never given. Anybody remember when he decided to get right? Where was he? In the hog pen. So I've never been in a hog pen. Are you kidding me? There's four or five of them almost every road down in the center of town. 
They're called taverns. By the way, leftover mash, you feed the hogs. Amen. <laughs> we used to feed some of it to the dairy cattle. They produce more milk. Walk funny. Um, it wasn't for a minute. But, boy, that's the state. What did he say? He looked around. What does the Bible say he did? He, what, he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's servants, my father's servants, in other words, I was heir to this. How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I perish from hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He left, and you know this, he left saying, give me. That's what he was saying. Check the scripture. Give me! Give me! He came back saying, make me. He said, what happened to that old boy? He said, the pigs got to him. No. Godly sorrow got to him. The pigs were just ambience. Um, godly sorrow gets you. Uh, hey, you ever just had enough? You ever just get sick of it? You ever just get sick of it and say, I'm a child of God. God is my Savior. I'm going to follow Him. I can't fix everything in life. Not everything in life is going to be ideal. There are some things that may be a constant hurt to me, but I'm going to go to my Father. And I'm going to get clean what needs to be gotten clean in me. You can't answer for anybody else, but you must answer for yourself. And then it didn't end with indignation. Look what else it says. It says, what indignation? And then again in verse 11 there, it says, yea, what fear? Fear of God. I think that's legitimate, was it? Fear of self and the capacity for wrong. It's a good idea if you don't trust you in certain areas. He said, Preacher, why wouldn't you trust yourself? Because I know myself. And what's even scarier? I may not know myself. That's even scarier to me, honestly. You know, we talk about blind spots. I was just listening to audiobook. It's kind of interesting. It says uh, this fellow had blind spots he was unaware of. That was the sentence they used. I thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world when I listened to it, Brother Robin. I thought... Yeah, by definition. If you knew of it, guess what it wouldn't be? You drive a truck, right? Yeah. You see a car in the mirror say, oh, look, little car. I run over. No, you can't see the car. You squish him. Why? He was in a blind spot, which is not a good place to be. Um, or maybe he just didn't like the car. Um, road rage. Then it says, yea, what fear? Maybe it's a fear of where things can lead and who they may hurt. It's a snowballing out of control. It's getting out of hand. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. We've got to do something different here. These are all legitimate. It's all part of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow looks at it and says, what in the world am I doing? Who's that going to affect? And where's that going to end? Because you start opening your eyes up to things with it. Hmm. Uh, 
and some of your friends that are saying they're having a great time because they're setting aside what they know is right are just fooling themselves as they head for a cliff. Be good for you to know that. Then, look what else it says there. Yea, what vehement desire. What is it? That's that thing coupled. I want to do right. I, I, I want to go the right way. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. We're going to make things right. We're going to make good. And we're going to do good. We're going to go the right way. This was godly sorrow. And watch. You're going to love the end of this. What happens with it. And then I love this conclusion at this verse. It says, In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He said to them, he said, I wrote you a letter and I first repented. It bothered me. But I, I, I don't repent because although I first had that reaction, it made you sorry for a season. But here's what it did for you. The truth caused all these things we've talked about here. And he said now, at the end of that verse, he said, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. He said, you responded to the truth and you've been made better because you did respond to the truth. When you go 1 Corinthians, you go into 2 Corinthians, the further you go into 2 Corinthians, the more praise you will see towards the church and the less correction you'll see. Remember, the word rebels not in those two books. They weren't rebels. They were fleshly. They were ungodly in many areas. They were babies in Christ. And they, were, they had their walking. We just read about today. Carnal. Uh, where they had uh, uh, the envy and, and strife and divisions. And, and one said, I am of Paul. Paul is my origination. Another one says, I am of Apollos. Apollos is my origination. They derive their identity from men, not from God. And all this it did, he said, but godly sorrow started working on you. And you said, wait a minute, i got to get something straight here. My thinking's not right. My, my living's not right. My love's not right. I need to get this thing right. And he said, you've done it. And you're going the right direction. So that's a wonderful thing. Let's finish out looking at verse 12 here. He says, wherefore, because of this, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, said I wasn't targeting, trying to fix somebody, nor for his cause, or nor for his cause that had suffered wrong. I wasn't right in trying to protect somebody, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. He said the only reason I was writing was to give you what God wanted to give you. I wasn't trying to fix this one and protect this one and do that. He said. All I was trying to do was care for you in the same way God would care for you. That's what he's talking about there. Then look what he says in verse 13. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort. He said it was a blessing to us when you started getting blessed. And exceeding the more joyed for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Imagine this. This was a church that had been fractious that have been divided, that have been fussy, that have been biting and devouring one another. And Titus had recently come to them and then he came to Paul and said, man, that church was a blessing to me. You wouldn't believe how good that was and how they treated one another. Can you imagine the joy of Paul goes, thank God for that. Thank God for that because that's what I want. <laughs> I have no greater joy than that my children would walk in truth. 
And, and so he's talking about this thing here. And look what he says with this. Verse 14, For if I have boasted anything to him of you, and so it was, <laughs> you'll see this over and over again in the Bible. The Lord allowed Paul over and over to tell people, he would, he would boast about the, the people, the converts, not, oh, they're my converts, but he would point out the growth that people were having. He would point out where they came from. And the, Paul, Paul wasn't somebody who badmouthed the congregations that he dealt with. When the congregation needed something, he dealt with them directly and said, here's what needs done. But every, everything you see about him talking to other people, he always wanted to talk about how God was working in the people. That's so important. So very important with that. Um, boy, there's a lot I could, I could show you about with that. But look at it, verse 14. If I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you. Whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Now look at this. God had Paul write this last line here to the Corinthian church. Alright? Corinthian church. Look what the statement is he made there. He said, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you. And how many things? Yeah, he's buttering him up. That's the word of God. He didn't buttering up anybody. He's not flattering anybody. You say, how can he make that statement? Was it suddenly a perfect church? Mm, nope. Didn't get there. Let me show you how you can make the statement. Look in Acts chapter 20. That's the last verse I want to show you tonight. Acts chapter 20. How could he make that statement to the Corinthian church? that he had confidence in them. Because of the way that he had ended previously speaking to believers was the truth that he knew. Look in verse 32. As he was leaving other believers, he said, and now brethren, I commend you to God. You know what that means, don't you? You're God. You belong to God. You, you are gods, as in apostrophe S, not ye are gods, but you are gods. You belong to God. He said, I commend you to God. Here's where he can have confidence. He said, I, I, I turn you over to God. Not, not in a harsh way. Not saying, you know, I'll turn you over for judgment. He said, I commend you to God. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to do what? build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Here's where his confidence came in. He said, good many of you are really saved people. He said, I've given you the Word of God and godly sorrows worked in you. And he said, I'm able to have confidence in you because I have confidence in God's Word and I know God's Word is able to build you. And God is able to do what He said He would do when He's able to write with confidence in another place, being confident in this very thing. 
that he which hath begun a good work in you, Philippians 1, he that which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the godly sorrow was a hurt that helped. They needed to hurt over some things. They needed to get sick of some things in their own life. Not finding out what everybody else is doing so they could figure out whether they're right or not, but get sick of some things in their own life. Why? So they could say, okay, God, I want to be right. I just want to be right. I want to be clear. God, I just want to walk with you and work on me and I'll do it. Let me pray with you, all right? Father, thank you for your words and thank you for your people. And Lord, um, may we be willing, each of us here, me, all these folks, Lord, may we be willing to sorrow over what we should sorrow over. Lord, help us not to lose our sensitivity. God, may we be honest enough to be bothered by some things. Lord, work on me. Lord, think about the psalmist. Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, you know our thoughts. You know our uprisings, our setting down. You know the secret things hidden even to ourselves. Search us, Lord, and help us to walk in your way, please. Amen. Let's stand together. Something you want to bring before the Lord, why don't you come tonight if you wouldn't? Invitation.